One doesn't have to spend a lot of time reading the news or watching the news, I suppose. We, we don't watch television, so and probably more of you watch it than read it. Uh, before you hear about identity politics, and we perhaps don't reflect when we hear this on the deeper implications of this idea, the most basic idea of it is that our individual political interests, my individual political interests, will largely be the result of demographics. In other words, uh, what race I belong to, my gender, age, educational level, and so on. Uh, we can see right away that this doesn't account for possible differences within demographic groups, but in any case, where a demographic group has experienced a kind of systematic discrimination, such an approach has its proper place. This is a useful way of thinking about political problems under these circumstances. But like any ideology, it comes with certain dangers. I've already suggested that it doesn't really honor the individuals within the group who may disagree about all kinds of things. Uh, one other danger is the tendency to accentuate the differences between groups rather than what we share as common citizens, say, of the United States or of Chicago, what we share by way of natural rights, by the rights granted in our Constitution, and so on, what we have in common. In recent years, this trend of identity politics has actually accelerated quite a bit. I'm sure that's not news to you either. And it spawned a, a new and refined version, which is called mostly by academics, I think, intersectionalism. And as you might guess, this refers to the intersection of different demographics. So any one of us can be viewed from many different aspects in different demographics. So I'm white, middle-aged, male, Catholic, urban, Midwestern. I prefer the original Star Trek to the next generation. That kind of thing. You can peg me, uh, and actually uh, social media does this. They track your preferences, and they figure out exactly what sorts of things they can sell you by, by doing this. So again, there's something kind of useful to this. There's something true about it. It might seem like a more nuanced version of identity politics because it seems to honor the individual differences a little more. But again, both of them are actually very deterministic. So you expect that I'm going to act a certain way because you can peg who I am by my skin color, my upbringing, and so on. And it doesn't allow for conversions, for intellectual growth, for choice, all kinds of things. But it also makes much worse the problem I mentioned a moment ago, and that is what is emphasized over and over again is what separates us, what's different, uh, and what, we, what grievances we have against each other, because that's what it's really all about. Uh, and so it makes much worse the atomization of our culture, that we all feel isolated because we can't reach out across demographics. Uh, so I actually uh, got into a discussion online some months ago, and uh, the person was assuming, I think, because I'm celibate, I don't know how to talk to women, and that I'm, uh, I am in the habit of mansplaining, and I didn't know what that was. Uh, and I assured him I have sisters and a mother, and uh, they would call me out on this if I tried it. So... Um, so, again, the rhetoric of this intersectionalism is not just used by sociologists. 
Rather, it's a way of kind of ranking persons by their level of victimization. So it's all about previous wrongs. And rather than finding a way to forgive, reconcile, move past, we dwell on these differences, these historical grievances, in order to capitalize politically. So the more groups to which I belong that have suffered some kind of documented discrimination or victimization, the more I'm entitled to some kind of compensation from other people. And uh, I was thinking about this. It's an odd reversal of um, this loathsome uh, chart I saw in college produced by early Prussian Darwinists uh, who used the scientific fads of their day and their ethnic chauvinism to prove that the Prussians were up here in terms of their greatness and evolutionary advancement compared to other peoples. Instead, we've now ranked people, instead of by uh, this kind of ethnic chart, by their intersectional placement. And certain people are more privileged than others based on how much victimization their group has received historically, not necessarily the individual. Any case, in all of this, uh, in both cases, this Prussian pseudoscientism and intersectionalism, the aim is to say something like this, I or we are not like other men. I'm not like other people. I have these grievances and they don't. I'm not like other people. I'm from this important group and they're not. And this is the language of the Pharisee today. It might seem like uh, a good deal if you're getting something out of it, you're getting reparations or something, but it's actually a lonely place to be. It's isolated. The Pharisee doesn't recognize this, of course, but our Lord even points it out in a very subtle way. He says of the Pharisee that when he speaks in prayer, he speaks to himself. He's not even speaking with God. It's kind of a play for, for his own self-aggrandizement. It's not a dialogue. And before I contrast the Pharisee to uh, the tax collector, I'd like to contrast him with a fictional character. I'm thinking of the elder Zosima in Dostoevsky's novel, The Brothers Karamazov. So Zosima is a spiritual elder, and he is uh, the father, spiritual father, of the main character of the book, Alexei, who's a, a novice in his monastery at the beginning. And Zosima spent his monastic life repenting. What was he repenting? It was an event in which he nearly killed a man in a duel. Uh, and in fact, in his heart, he realized he had consented to killing this man. He would have done it. Uh, had he not had a night to think about it and realize that this would jeopardize his soul. But he could have been a murderer. And this shocked him, and it made him change his life. It, he realized he was capable of the worst possible behavior. And before that, he had been accustomed to thinking of himself as an honorable soldier in the Tsar's army. What could be a better thing to be for someone like him? And yet, there wasn't anything separating him from the worst criminal. And so he teaches the young Alexei Karamazov this saying, When the monk knows that he is not only worse than all those in the world, but is also guilty before all people, on behalf of all and for all, for all human sins, the world's and each person's, only then will the goal of unity be achieved. Only then will our hearts be moved to love, to a love that is, is infinite universal, and knows no satiety. So here, in repentance, in humility, 
is a formula for solidarity, for unity and reconciliation between us. Not my emphasis on my goodness that separates me from others, nor by an emphasis on my victimization that also separates. Rather, the realization that I am very much like other men, even like the tax collector. <clears throat> 